Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness Podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness Podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Well, hello, Stateside Madness, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And how are you doing, Polly? Uh, things are pretty good coming into fall and, you know, all that sort of stuff. School starting. I know that's it's made you busy. And uh, one of those things, life moves on. Things are Things are crazy. Yeah, well, thank you again for uh, handling that Roddy Radiation interview. That turned out really, really well, didn't you think? I thought so. And for those of you who are unaware, we did not mean to cut Lori out of that, but Lori came down with the COVID. Yes, yes. I, I caught it at the Echo and the Bunnymen concert. Uh, Polly was referring to it as the bunny pox. I was. Yes, you were. <laughs> Um, but Hey, I do have one item. I do have one item for the communicator, Polly. And why don't we do it then? Okay, so this just came across my desk a few minutes ago. According to the website Chartable, episode 55, the interview with Roddy Radiation, was ranked number 68 in South Africa. South Africa? South Africa. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's great to hear. Um, I don't know. I, where, where do we uh, rank our association with South Africa these days? What's the word, Johannesburg? <laughs> uh, yeah, so, um, well, I'm not playing Sun City. Uh, but anyways, uh, thanks, South Africa. That's fun. Yeah, and keep listening. We got more good stuff coming. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to tell Roddy. He'd get a kick out of that. For sure. And, of course, we'd like to wish a very happy birthday to Lee J. Thompson, saxophonist and songwriter extraordinaire. Lee is turning 65 years young on October 5th. Happy birthday, Lee. Chris, what time is it? Showtime. Okay, so Polly, what are we doing this week? We're back to an album deep dive, aren't we? Yes, we are. And um, one of my favorites, number three in the uh, chronology of Madness albums, where you're doing number seven, though. It's seven, the album from 1981. Yeah, and this album was not released in the United States, unfortunately. It was available to us as an import. 
It was released on October 2nd, 1981. Now this episode's being released on October 1st. So it's a nice little uh, synchronicity there. Very clever how you did that. So like the previous albums, it was produced by Clive Langer and Alan Winstanley. And the band were just coming off of a tour of the USA in 1981. So they ended up at Compass Point Studios in Nassau in the Bahamas. Now, I don't know how much you remember about summer of 1981, but the band actually stopped recording at one point to watch the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana on July 29th, 1981. And reportedly that made them feel a bit homesick. As a matter of fact, this would be the first and last time that the band would record in a studio outside of London. And a little bit about the album itself. The Rising Sun pose, which if you remember, it is all the guys, Mike, of course, being standing up, arms akimbo, as would the rest of them be more or less, three on each side, Rising Sun. Uh, so that was a little difficult for Barson, you know, tall guy that he is, that endless posing, um, standing on his toes, more or less, arms up, kept falling over as the story goes. That actually happens in the video for Shut Up. You can actually see that they're trying to do the pose and Mike actually does fall over. Uh, and interesting artwork on this. Uh, so the album looks a bit uh, more polished than absolutely and certainly more polished than one step beyond had been uh so the pose i'm not certain whether it was mike putland who photographed the album cover uh it's credited to stella artwork and c more um so i don't know whether they do the photography and the graphic design but whatever uh the artwork though and the photographs on the back of the album fantastic that is credited to mike putland and mike putland Quite the portfolio really has worked with a lot of the big names. Uh, Springsteen, Kiss, uh, Grace Jones, just a ton, a ton, a ton of people. So big, big time at that. Yeah. So there you go. The boys getting a little bit of notoriety, getting work with a lot of cool people. The name Seven was reportedly suggested by Chaz uh, because it was a mystical number. Mystical number. Yeah, well, you know, we all say lucky number seven, I guess. But coincidentally, seven guys in the band. So why not seven? Okay, so let's start off with the album. The first track is Cardiac Arrest, written by Carl Smith and Chris Foreman. Let's listen. cardiac arrest Polly well you know uh, uh, a decent uh, song for madness uh, fair amount of notoriety fan favorite more or less but you know it's 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 not my top 10 madness fine song 
fine composition, but uh, you know, good good video too, I'd say by their standards. But uh, yeah, you know, it's a medium for me. Neither dislike, neither uh, real crazy about it. What about you? Oh, I love it. I think it's a great song. So I learned recently that Carl wrote the song about watching a man suffer a heart attack at the tube station when he was a teen. He said, I stayed watching, saying some prayers till it was apparent that he was dead. Most people were just walking past him and avoiding looking at the situation. And I think he said he was about 15 or 16 at the time. And that really must have had quite an impact on him to be confronted with mortality like that. We already know, because we've discussed it in previous episodes, the BBC had decided the song was unplayable because it's about a heart attack. And I guess it also did not appear on the Spanish release of the seven album. They replaced it with It Must Be Love. Now, the album version of the song is a little bit different than the single version because it ends after the second chorus with an instrumental that represents the man's heart slowing down and then stopping. I don't think I like the the album version as much as the single version, but that's okay. Uh, the single did spend 10 weeks in the UK charts and peaked at number 14. And I don't know if you've noticed, Polly, they rarely perform this one live. Yeah, I don't know that I've seen them play it live. Uh, I'd have to check, um, you know, as with the interwebs, all that information is out there somewhere. But I, I think that I had read somewhere that maybe they performed it once in like 2016. But prior to that, I don't think it had been performed since like the 80s. Now, I could be wrong about that. I'm sure somebody's going to write in to statesidemadness at gmail.com and tell me all the dates that it was performed. But uh, yeah, it's it's for whatever reason, not one that they seem to uh, get up to at their live shows. What's next, Polly? All right. Next is Shut Up. And if you remember... That's a Suggs and Christy Boy composition. We've talked about it a few times already on the podcast, but just a few notes on it. It was released as a single on September 11th, 1981, spending about 10 weeks on the UK single charts, uh, topping at about number seven, hey, I think. Should we listen to it? Sure, we can listen to it. <laughs> I wasn't there Don't blame me, it just isn't fair You listen to their side, now listen to mine Come think of a story, sure you'll find me some time Now pass the blame and don't blame me So, uh, Lori, the song, shut up. Uh, what are your thoughts about it? I like the way that you you were very careful in phrasing that. Oh, I wasn't just going to say shut up to you. No, I wasn't going to do that. I, I love this song. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely a, a classic that everybody who's into madness knows. You know, if you see them perform it live or on video, as I have, because I haven't seen them live, the crowd really gets into that one two three so how about you what do you think of shut up you know this is really where they came off of two great albums they were really figuring out their songwriting and they could pull off 
a lot of great stuff. And I think this is pretty representative of that, both in the song and in the video. Uh, the video is pretty much classic madness, them guys mucking about. And, you know, it's a, what would end up being a very madness type theme. So you've got the, you know, the song being about, uh, as Sug said, inexperienced burglars being caught and trying to waffle their way out of it. Uh, and, you know, we go on to hear a lot of that in Madness between themes of shoplifting, panty stealing, um, mm-hmm. all manner of stuff like that. You know, so this is a theme with our guys, that sort of low level uh, bumbling criminal sort of thing. Yeah. And, you know, and the song worked out all right for them. They released it as a single in 1981 on uh, September 11th, spent 10 weeks on the UK charts, topping it about number seven. So pretty good for them. Already off to a strong start. Um, and coincidentally, uh, Shut Up, I don't know, doesn't really appear in the song at all, does it? No, actually, I, I had read somewhere that the original version of the song went on for about 10 minutes. And there was actually a chorus that did include the word Shut Up. But all of that ended up on the cutting room floor. And we ended up with the song that we know and love today. But no Shut Up in the lyrics. Uh, yeah, and 10 minutes would no doubt have been way too long. Now, I also recently learned that uh, Chris's guitar solo in the song was reportedly inspired by Dwayne Eddy. And I can totally hear it, too. I can totally hear it in this song. Yeah, definitely. A little bit rockabilly, a little bit surf. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay, so track three is Sign of the Times. It was written by Suggs and Mike Barson. Let's listen. This is disposable. Throw it away. This is an animal. Don't let it stray. That was the past. So leave it behind. This is the future. sign of the times what do you think yeah i'm all right with it um i think fans would notice the similarity to uh the champs town called malice in the beat particularly the drums uh, of course town called malice was very faithful you know set up to can't hurry love by the supremes so this song has a, a similar instrumentation uh same drum beat more or less but uh, not quite as derivative as the jam. So we've talked about this a little bit in uh, previous episodes. Actually, I think it was in our episode on the politics of madness. And this song is a satire about British tabloid culture. But it's interesting to me how this song really could have been written about American news media in 2022. Lawbreakers are broken, and so we all share the family problems, the paper that cares. I guess the more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? It would, it would seem that way. It's kind of depressing. <laughs> a little, a little, a little, a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Up next then, why don't we listen to a Suggs and Barson composition? It's Missing You. Missing <laughs> You. 
sunshine through the open window The empty side, the shadow, shadow My own circle's nothing at all My fingers reach to touch the wall Missing you when I'm away Think of things I'd like to say Almost cry to hear your voice Lying with me Got no choice My main thoughts during the day Suddenly to see your face Interrupted thoughts have gone All right, so Lori What are your thoughts on Missing You? You know, I dug this out over the weekend to listen to it again from beginning to end because it's been a while since I've actually listened to this album and I guess I never realized how great Lee Sachs playing and Mike's piano are in this song, especially that middle eight. There's this great sax solo by Lee backed by some really mean piano from Mike Barson. I'd forgotten just how good this song was. How about you? What do you think? Uh, Pretty much same thing. Looking at my notes, we've got the same uh, take on it. The uh, the best part is definitely that breakdown in the middle with the sax solo. Um, you know, there's a bit of the, I think it's a strong finish to the song. The opening's a little weak. There's that superfluous echo um, happening um, in the delivery of the verses in the, in the beginning. Uh, and, you know, that's guys in the studio getting a little bit of time. And, and back then, one of the rare studio tricks was echo, you know, so it doesn't ruin the song, but yeah, you know, whatever, bit cheesy. Yeah. But altogether, it's still a strong song. Now, Suggs has said this song is about touring, touring, and then a bit more touring. What started out as great fun was starting to make me miss loved ones. And there you go. And as is the case with the young bands, you know, two, uh, pretty strong albums and all of that touring. Touring of the U.S., which I just came off of that we talked about earlier, and the irony of not releasing this uh, album in the U.S., pretty peculiar um, situation there. I wonder what the logic was behind that. But yeah, touring and the amount of activity they make young bands go through to kind of establish, uh, that would make somebody miss home, I'm sure. All right. So next we have Mrs. Hutchinson, which was written by Mike Barson. We've talked about this one before, but let's listen to it again. Well, Mrs. Hutchinson, you're looking healthy, but just in case, here's a pill, a remedy. Well, Mrs. Hutchinson, this is something that little upset. I thought I diagnosed. Well, not to worry, just not what I supposed. You better sit down, son. Your mother's very Okay, so Polly, thoughts on Mrs. Hutchinson? Yeah, so uh, I think the most notable thing is uh, the instrumentation in this. And I, and I know we talked about this before. So it definitely has that Calypso rhythm to it. And I do believe um, 
even appears uh, to have steel drums in there somewhere. So, you know, take it or leave it. That's something that uh, I, I'm, I'm quite fond of most of the time, unless it comes off as cheesy. And I think the boys uh, kind of escape that in this instance. What are your thoughts about it? You know, it's interesting because we've talked about this song before, but I don't think it registered in my mind that they actually recorded this album in the Caribbean. And it's almost surprising, not that this song has that kind of Caribbean vibe to it with like the, the steel drums and everything. It's surprising to me that the other songs don't. You know, there's absolutely nothing other than maybe this song and maybe a little bit in Missing You that kind of indicates, you know, like where they were, you know, the, the physical locale, you know, which I think was interesting. I kind of wonder if maybe the record label wasn't expecting them, you know, to go off and do some kind of Caribbean, you know, ska CD. And they came back with some really very dark songwriting, but arguably some of their best songwriting. You know, we, we have talked about this a little bit, that it's about Mike Barson's mother, Pat, and her experiences with Britain's National Health Service. She'd been told that she had terminal cancer and she'd been told, you know, to make her her final preparations. And several weeks later, the hospital realized they had made a mistake and it was just gallstones. So Mike kind of poured all of that experience into this song. All right. Up next, we have uh, a Tomo and Barson composition. It's Tomorrow's Dream. Well, we've talked about this one before, too. Uh, Again, this was in our Politics of Madness episode. A lot of the songs on this album were in that episode. So a lot of the songs do have kind of a political or a social meaning. We know that it's a commentary on animal testing told from the perspective of the animals. But according to Lee, there's also a little bit of a reference to Reagan's Star Wars missile defense program, that whole you can't burn me with your laser beams. I don't I don't really care for this song. I never really have. I don't know. There, there's something about it that just it doesn't sit right with me. And I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure how to articulate that. What are your thoughts of tomorrow's dream? Well, yeah, at the risk of trying to sound diplomatic. I mean, I think it's, you know, one of their more ambitious songs thematically, you know, like you mentioned uh, with the animal testing, Star Wars, all that sort of stuff. But it's a bit... Uh, for an upbeat song, a bit lagging, I think, in the chorus. You know, it's kind of like, it's not really not that motivating. It doesn't really grab you. The highlights of the song, I think, would be Lee's sax squealing mm. that he does in there a bit, a bit trademark for him. Uh, but that helps the song along. Uh, and I found that it was an awkward keyboard sound in there, too. 
it wasn't Barson's traditional electric piano or organ sound. This was something more akin to an early 80s synthesizer in parts of that. And that didn't do much for me at all. Yeah, they were definitely playing with some synth effects on this song, I think, in kind of keeping with the the theme of like, you know, experimentation that, you know, is kind of the theme of the song. You know what I didn't realize? I, I only learned very recently. Woody has said that this song was an absolute nightmare to play. So he basically had to learn the drum beat from Mike. And there's something about having to start on the opposite hand than he's used to, which I'm not a drummer. I don't really understand what the significance of that is. But then he also said that the beat is basically the same as tomorrow's just another day. So I'm not sure why, what about that would be a nightmare? Apparently it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm clueless about that. So, okay, so moving on. This is a, a favorite here at Stateside Madness HQ. It's a Mike Barson composition, Gray Day. Well, so this was the first single off the album, Polly. It was actually released several months before the album came out, April 17th, 1981. What do you think of Grey Day? Well, it's, you know, it's classic madness, really. Um, started out as an old Invaders tune, but I do believe uh, they reworked lyrics for it. So they had the seed of it in the Invaders, but basically the whole song got overhauled. We're seeing these guys develop a little bit, I think, with this song. A um, lot stronger, a lot catchier, great hook. So, yeah, I mean, what's not to love about it? Yeah, I mean, we're really seeing the boys evolving, not just as uh, musicians, but as songwriters. And I think this is like the next step in that evolution. And they're really getting away from the ska label. And I know that that's something that we've argued before with some of the fans of the band who, you know, think that everything that Madness does is ska or has to be ska. And the band has said on numerous occasions, I, I quoted Woody, Woody has actually said, no, we are not a ska band. And, you know, even though that there's some elements that borrow from ska in this song, this is definitely not a ska song. It's really, it's a good song. It's a relatable song. Who can't relate to that? In the morning, I awake, my arms, my legs, my body aches. Man, at this age, I'm feeling that. <laughs> All right. And up next, then, it would be Pack a Mac. This is a Tomo and Barson composition as well. Let's take a listen. Those 
right then, Lori. Mm-hmm. So here, here we are. Here we are. Another madness song about prophylactic birth control. Yeah, I think we talked about this in the sexy time for madness episode. And I'm realizing, especially on this album, I mean, Lee's, Lee was a dirty boy. You know, Lee always had these little uh, uh, meanings and double entendres in his, his songs. But yeah, as you mentioned, this is actually a song about a condom. Inside a rubber wall yelling, screams echo off the ceiling. My love could penetrate, so I'll leave you now prostrate. That's uh, that's pretty direct. <laughs> what do you think of Pacamac? Oh, I don't have any fondness for this. Um, no, no, you know, uh, as you get older, I think as a guy in particular, you look back on just how st- stupid young men are, <laughs> and you get a little—it's a little cringy, a little embarrassing—and this song. Has that all over it? You know, if I had an issue with it, I, it wouldn't be the subject matter for me. I don't have a problem with that. I think it's that the the words feel a little bit forced to fit into the rhythm at a, at a few places. If that makes sense, where it it doesn't quite flow as smoothly as some of their other songs do, lyrically. Agreed. But uh, I don't hate this one. It's not, I mean, it's not going to make any of my, you know, top 10 lists, but I don't hate it. Okay. So next up, Polly, we have a song that I don't think you and I have ever played on this podcast before. Have we? I think you're right. No, I don't believe so. Yeah. So this one is also written by Lee and Mike. It's called Promises, Promises. I'll promise you a gift worth much more if not sold. Half for you and half for me if finally I'm so bold. I'll promise you a home that money cannot buy All good homely spirits walking by and by I'll promise you a world of making of amends And on our anniversary invite you round the bend I'll promise you a life, it only takes a tick All the fruits of life carry you aboard my ship I'll promise you a world of making of amends and on the anniversary, invite you round the bend. Don't find to me, you're only acting when you care. So I've decided on decisions. Okay, so now we have something fresh, something new that we haven't talked about before. So tell me what you think of Promises, Promises. Uh, well, I like it. Uh, generally, all altogether pretty decent song. Um, it's them probably... Now, I suppose we've already talked a couple of songs uh, on this album being a little bit more political, uh, but I think this is both that combination of them being a little bit more political and just a little bit more articulate, too, in their songwriting. So, uh, yeah, I like it. Altogether, a fine, fine job by the guys. So Lee Thompson has said, it's about the kind of pledges that are made at the start of a marriage and how they often go astray. It was also about the broken promises made by Margaret Thatcher when she came to power. So two very different kinds of promises, but he's kind of drawing a connection between the two. And I guess you can kind of hear that in the lyrics. Don't feign to me. You're only acting when you care. 
So I've decided on decisions that will not strike you very fair. Let's devise a plan and we'll think about it twice. Sketching watercolor paints, bury hatchets in the ice. Lyrics aside, I kind of feel like there's a little bit of a like Motown influence to the the what the composition of the song. Am I off base on that or is that no, no. I I I think you're you're pretty well on to something there. Yeah. Okay. Point for Lori. Yay. Okay. You know, I also feel the need to mention Lee's sax again. It really kind of steals the show in this song. Uh, we've got some really, really strong Lee Thompson saxophone throughout this entire album, but nowhere more so than in this song. So uh What's next? What is up next? That would be a Tomo and Chrissy Boy composition again. And this time it's Benny Bullfrog. <laughs> so there I am, polished off a rifle buffalo at the pommel. What is packed to reimburse? I've yet to re rehearse. Many moons spent on love lines left from lonely about this one in sexy time for madness i think we did didn't we i do believe we did yeah you sound disappointed no 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 not that disappointed all right well it's uh, again with with lee and his you know kind of naughty lyrics we have a song about a, a bullfrog in heat my wad is packed to reimburse <laughs> like that isn't a double meaning right Final run through, polish up the flower of love, my buttercup. Moon in June for you, I'll croon. It's almost cartoonish, reminding me of like Pepe Le Pew, you know, the flower of love, my buttercup. You know, it's... I don't know. What do you think of the song? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so Benny the Bullfrog, that would have been uh, Lee's only other lead vocal since um, Raised Blade Alley. So, you know, it's. Uh, good in that respect we're getting a little bit more lily in front again singing one of his compositions but yeah it's that silly stuff you know we like it because they're the nutty boys and that's become a bit of their trademark thing but there is a tipping point when it gets so silly that it's just kind of like yeah that's kind of where i am with benny which is kind of how I feel about all the belching sounds, you know, it's, yeah, <laughs> I know it's a fan favorite, you know, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of Manus fans that just love this song. I'm kind of surprised to be honest that this never got played on like Dr. Demento because this is the kind of song that he would have loved. You know, did you ever listen to Dr. Demento back in the day? I, I listened to Dr. Demento uh faithfully that was uh syndicated by uh westwood, westwood one, one. Uh -huh. yeah and um 
So our one of the two radio stations that I even had living in the very, very rural Maine was Classic Rock Station. And I think it was like Sunday, late Sunday afternoons or something like that. Uh, Dr. Demento was on and I listened to the shit out of Dr. Demento. Oh, yeah. It, it's what uh, made me a Frank Zappa fan. And it's what made me a Weird Al fan. And yeah, totally. It, it would have been great hearing this song on it. Then I would have had a much more flattering opinion of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, yeah. So yeah, Westwood One Radio Network. Uh, here it was WDEK, which was DeKalb, Illinois, and it was Sunday nights, and I think it started at like eleven p.m. So, and it was like a what was it like a two two and a half hour show? Yeah. So. I would be under the covers with my headphones listening, hoping that my mom didn't come up and yell at me because I had school Monday morning. But I mean, Sunday nights were all about Dr. Demento. Okay. So next, I don't think we've talked about this song either before, Polly. This is another Lee Thompson, Chris Foreman song, When Dawn Arrives. He hums tonight, he through his streets My unlatched window, the tune repeats The curb crawling car winds down to a stop A few seconds mumble, then whisks him off Sick and tired of abuse Controlled signs of hysteria But like when dawn arrives He remembers his leisure So I feel like we've missed a few songs that we could have included in the Sexy Time for Madness episode, this being one of them. It's definitely about a reluctant male prostitute. Yeah. Right? From a doorway stepped in shadowed leather, exchanging handshakes for money and pleasure. Sure. It would have gotten the no sexy time for, you know, madness uh, uh, vote on it, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> based solely against the fact that the you know the guy's reluctant yeah yeah if he was happy about it then it would totally be sexy time you get the feeling that he's doing what he needs to do to survive you know and that's whatever his situation that's what he needs to do lyrics aside it's actually a a really really good composition i mean instrumentally it's very very strong and it kind of got shoved on the back of this album where I feel like the last few tracks, I think people forget about, you know, I, I don't know, you know, it's because we made the shift from LP to CD. And so like LP, you had like eight, eight tracks, maybe now you've got 12 or 13. Are people starting to overlook the end of it now? Because, you know, it's like the throwaway stuff. I don't know. I didn't ask you what you think of this song. Where are my manners? What do you think of when Dawn arrives? Altogether, I think I like this song. You know, it's uh, like you said, though, um, it seems a bit uh, almost experimental and almost like they had it. And so they put it on the album. But, you know, it's a bit of a departure for them. And kudos, kudos to them. Uh, they managed to do it. And I think it sounds all right. No, no, no great insightful commentary on it. There you go. That's it. They, they tried, they did all right, and there you go. <laughs> all right. 
Okay, up next, then, it would be the Opium Eaters. Do you believe our friend Al Warmanin? Was it Al? Or was it Bone? I don't know, but somebody mentioned that on uh, the episode where we had those fans on. Uh, but anyways, the Opium Eaters, it's a Barson composition. Let's take a listen. that we have the boys going back to instrumentals because uh they kind of got away from that didn't they so suggs actually pointed out that the opium eaters is the sound of nassau it's even got the crickets on it so i guess that that was yeah yeah did they record the crickets in the bahamas when they were recording i don't know i don't know if he means that literally it's it's an okay song. I don't think it's one of their strongest instrumentals. What do you think? Yeah, well, inter- instrumentals have a, a higher bar, kind of. Uh, you know, think of what it really takes to have an instrumental uh, be a bit of an earworm. You know, there's there's a few in history. Probably Green Onions is one of the, probably the biggest one. But um, yeah, without having verses and choruses to draw your attention into it and keep you hooked and to provide you some way to participate and play along by singing along. Yeah, you know, instrumentals tend to be a little forgettable. And this is, eh, you know, this is a medium, not the worst thing they've ever done, but it's not, uh, yeah, it's just not going to grab you. Well, so very early on in their career, Dave Robinson had actually wanted the band to do more instrumentals. So one step beyond most people would consider that an instrumental, even though you have Chaz emceeing a little bit in it. Tarzan's Nuts is another one that I think would be considered an instrumental. Swan Lake. Definitely, yeah. So this, I mean, it's it's moody. It's It's interesting, but it's completely forgettable. And I would not say that about the other three. You know what I mean? This one is is... It's not as good as some of their earlier instrumentals, I'm afraid. No disagreement, huh? No, oh, sorry, no. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on to our final track, Day on the Town, which was written by Suggs and Chris Foreman. Summer in London, watery sunshine. A place in the city Where I can go sometimes To get on a red bus and go anywhere See all the sights and not pay the fare Summer in London Chip on your shoulder Chips in your mouth Lady, with tickets to town. 
All right, Polly, what do you think of Day on the Town? Boy, I have become a literal broken record on this. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm trying. I'm, I'm swear I'm not trying to be diplomatic and not say bad things, but maybe this is emblematic of kind of the the album, not chock full of you know the things that grab your attention. A fine undertaking, ambitious, but lacking in the goods. You know. Uh, I would never look at this song or listen to this song rather and say, oh, this is terrible. Um, but it's more like, um, you know, madness style background music to a hmm. television program or something like that. Really? Yeah, it just doesn't have the goods for me. Yes, you know, I, I don't agree with you on that one. I, I, think that this is really strong as far as the the lyrics go as far as the songwriting goes i like how it starts off with this kind of naive innocence a place in the city where i can go sometimes to get on a red bus and go anywhere to see the sights and not pay the fare so there's this little aspect of criminality to it kind of reminded me a little bit of i don't know like a uh 70s london street kids version of ferris bueller's day off you know bunking off and and seeing the tourist sites but then at the end it gets really dark where we have riots in london right and um it always takes me by surprise even though i've heard this song so many times i don't know what it is about that part that just really it shocks me it's not hard to understand why this track was actually removed from the album in some countries and I think it's because of, you know, the reference to riots and some of the less appealing aspects of tourism. Yeah. I, I like this one, though. I, I, I think it's maybe not the strongest song to end an album with. But I think it's better than the, the previous few tracks. Yeah. And, you know, it could have been so much more. You know, finally, when you, when you were talking about the influence of being in NASA, you know, uh, finally, we're getting a reggae beat happening mm -hmm. here and mm -hmm. that jaunty, you know, reggae aspect of Mike's keyboards on it. Um, it could have been I think this song could have been saved by being a little bit more up tempo. Lyrically, it could have stayed exactly the same as far as I was concerned um, and just a little bit more dynamic. I know that's something that people find oppositional saying a reggae beat and then a dynamic song but let's face it a lot of the best reggae is um dynamic rather than just plodding through a uniform beat for the entirety of the song so i mean there could have been a lot done with it uh hey maybe they were rushed maybe this is the post uh prince charles and diana maybe they were homesick mm -hmm. and they just couldn't mm -hmm. pull together but uh <laughs> good effort so close not not quite for me okay so that wraps up the album to me anyway if you kind of put this in its place in the madness catalog this is really i think a transitional album i think we're really starting to see madness getting away from the ska vibe really starting to as i said earlier come into their own as musicians and especially as songwriters and the album that followed this was madness presents the rise and fall which we talked about in a previous episode, very much a narrative, very much like a concept album. 
and a lot more experimental in terms of their songwriting, not necessarily their performance. So when you kind of look at it in that perspective, you know, where it fits in the, the madness catalog, I think it's really kind of an interesting place in their careers. I certainly had forgotten how many good tracks there are on this album. This is not one that I listen to with any regularity. Uh, that might be changing, you know, now that I've been listening to it a lot these last few days. How about you? What What are your thoughts on the album? So I've come up with a bullshit analogy uh, to make my explanation a little bit more coherent. Not that coherent is usually my thing, but um, so you may have seen the movie Moneyball. Mm, yeah. Any chance? Yeah. I haven't, but uh, I did hear it explained at some point. So in, in Moneyball, I guess it goes like this. Uh, a lot of sports teams blow their whole budget on a couple of superstars and um yet on a team with let's say a dozen people i don't know how sports works um then they've got two superstars and 10 people that are probably crap because they haven't uh they haven't paid up you know um and so they go through and they don't lose the pennant or the rose bowl or whatever the hell they play um and uh so there you go there's a waste of money but i guess in Moneyball what the premise was is they went through statistics and paid for a lot of people who were sort of like maybe six out of 10, you know, these guys were just a little bit better than average, but weren't superstars, but because they didn't blow their whole wad on uh, Michael Jordan, they get a lot of competent guys. So there's a bunch of good guys on a team and they do real well. This is kind of what the album seven is like. There's not a hit on it. There's not even maybe say for cardiac arrest or shut up. Ones that are even that memorable, but it is chock full of pretty good. So in that term, you know, in those terms, it's a winner for that reason. I, I'm just, my head is reeling from your mixed metaphors right now. You have at least three different sports that you were mixing in there. <laughs> and I'm hey, not a I could have, I could have played sports or I could have listened to music when I was a kid. I chose, I chose wisely. Okay. All right. So Polly, now I'm going to ask you your, your least favorite part of the episode. What is your favorite track on the album? And then what is your least favorite track? Uh, well, so the least favorite tracks would have been a cross between, uh, you know, a, a toss up between Pac-A-Mac or Benny the Bullfrog or Benny Bullfrog, I guess. Um, yeah, but whatever. Take your pick. I'm, I'm, I'm alienating somebody just by saying those two. Uh, and my favorite, I guess it's going to be Shut Up, I guess, you know? Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if for no other reason, then it's it's a, a famous madness song. And and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll just say it's probably their best work on the album. Okay. I went back and forth with my favorite. It was either gonna be Shut Up or Gray Day. And since you've chosen Shut Up, I'll choose Gray Day. Yeah, you should. It's a good song. It is. Least favorite, the the one that I skip is Benny Bullfrog. And it's just because of all of the disgusting sound effects, you know, one or two would have been okay, but it just kind of goes on and on and on. And you know how 
when you're in a room and I don't know, so, so somebody, somebody vomits. And so then everybody suddenly has to vomit. And that's kind of how this song is for me. It's like all of the, the belching sound effects just make me very sick to my stomach physically. And I'm sure somebody's listening to this and maybe he's going to get back to Lee and he's going to get a kick out of that. But um, that's, that's my least favorite. Well, yeah. And let's hand it to him. I think that was, I think that was the desired effect. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Let's see how disgusting we can be. Uh, Polly, do you want to talk about what we're going to do in our next episode? What are we going to do? I've forgotten. No. uh, So, so the next episode, I think we're going to be talking about the movie, take it or leave it. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. We're going to do a bit of a deep dive into the movie and also the soundtrack. So I've been watching it uh, as a refresher. So our closing song today is going to be Sign of the Times by M.O.T. Now, I really had to do some digging to find out who M.O.T. is because there's several different artists and bands named M.O.T. There's like a, a Korean band. There's apparently a rapper named M.O.T. But as best I can figure, this is actually the alias of a British musician named Dan Fossard, who does a lot of uh, Scott type music. That's all I was able to find out about him. But I I liked his take on Sign of the Times. So since we're uh, closing off the seven album, I'd like to close with that. So two weeks, madness, take it or leave it. We'll be back then. It's a goodbye from me. And that's a goodbye from me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Hell, go get seven. This is disposable. Let's throw it away. This is an animal. Please don't let it stray. That was the past, let's leave it all behind This is the future, it's all in our minds Feeding your interests in between lines Reading the caring one, sign of the times This is your Englishman, this is his loom This is your female, all undone and torn We are the people, and we really care We don't really look, we just like to stand Unprintable feelings that played on your mind Were written in innocence, pretend we are blind Patience, the virtue was not learned in schools Ha ha, it's funny To break all the rules Lawbreakers are broken And so we'll share All the family problems And the paper cares The cheapest, the brightest The sexiest news Let's all make up stories With unbiased views the people and we really care we don't really look we just like to stare unprintable feelings that play on your mind were written in innocence pretend we are blind
your female 